On this week's episode of DLNX Stand, we talk about users having the ability and right to upgrade their technology when and where they see fit. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 25 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. I'm Matt, and with me are the fantastical people of Linux Podcasting, Wendy and Nate. Wendy, what have you been up to? Well, I spent the time to clean my desk this week, which was something that needed done, and I know it won't last for very long. My desk is everybody's gather place for stuff. Mom needs something, stick <laughs> on the desk. Dad has papers that need filed. They get stuck on the desk. Like Everything gets put here. And then when you can't put paper in the printer because everything's filed on the desk, somebody <laughs> Everybody gets frustrated. <laughs> who's who's that frustrated person? Is that you, Wendy? Uh, no, this was my husband that got frustrated because oh. he was doing his his billing. He works for himself, and so he needed to do building billing, print out the bills, and send them off. And there was no paper in the printer, and yeah, he couldn't get the printer open to put paper in it. It was so fun. <laughs> so the desk has been cleaned off. Yay! And it'll last for all of two seconds, and then it won't be clean anymore. It's one of those never-ending stories like laundry. It's done for all of two seconds, and then you start all over again. But I did take the time to buy me something fun this week. And this is more on on Matt's side. I bought some game stuff and I don't know when I'm going to ever have time to play it because I know I won't have time this week. But I finally got the American Truck Simulator DMC DLC for Washington and Idaho. I'm waiting for the finger to get pointed at me for the blame on this one. It is totally your fault because I wouldn't have discovered these games in the first place if it wasn't like, but there's these options and you can do it this way on Linux and you can make it work that way. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, maybe I'll check it out. And the next thing I know, I've got hours into trucking. So I cheat. I cheat like Zeb does where I turn off the cops and I turn off your need for sleep. And in the Euro one, I have like a 5,000 liter gas tank. So I never have to stop for fuel. <laughs> I pass in the emergency lane. It is get all your driving frustrations out. That That's what. Do you do what Zeb <laughs> did with the caravans? No, no, I do not crash caravans. But if you're in my way and you're a little car, I will plow you over. I don't have time for stopping. <laughs> Well, that definitely tells me that Matt is certainly the gaming enabler. Of the oh, that is no joke. That, Without he a is. doubt, that is his job on this in the community. I don't know what you're talking about. I would never <laughs> enable you guys to buy games. I am not responsible for the things you decide to purchase with your own money. Nate, what have you been up to? Well, I uh, currently I'm on vacation sitting in a room in a cottage in northern part of Michigan with my microphone Fun. sitting on top of my calendar planner binder thing that I keep all my stuff in while well, I'm, I'm crouched over my laptop on a bed right now. All so kinds I'm, I'm of comfortable. To have, uh, outside of that, I've been working on doing, working with Fusion 360 
on Linux, of course, designing a my garage renovation. Oh, cool. I've got, uh, I did it on paper. I thought I could just do it on paper real quick and then I can pull the permit and do whatever else I need to get, to get it all approved and whatnot. And, uh, and then as I w- did it on paper, I'm like, well, I need to change this. So then I got on a big eraser and I'm like, this is silly. I have the tools. Why don't I just use them? So now I'm building it properly in CAD. I can adjust the design as I need to, to include like where I'm going to have the, like the pull down uh, access to the attic, the loft area and so mm-hmm. forth. So I, I can actually get that all done, get that all in there. It's, it's been kind of fun. Uh, Fusion 360 is not the CAD system I'm most familiar with, but it's the most powerful thing I can use right now. Yeah. And I really enjoy it. It's easy to use. And and when, once you actually understand how it thinks, so I have to kind of retrain my brain a little bit. Because it's it, a different it's, program it's, than the one that yes. you have been using. Yeah, for the last you know, 10 plus years. This actually works. It works really well. It's just, it's just a little bit different. And so, but it's been fun. I'm about halfway done with it. I've already tweaked the design already. Talking to, uh, to some friends, I, I was looking for French door and and then someone said why don't you use one of those those barn doors you know they you know, that slide and I thought oh, oh that's a brilliant yeah. idea because combine that with my other obsessions of of automation and I could very easily automate that door so if I have my cell phone on me that when it senses that I'm close enough it would just automatically open up my door that would be handy that's the end state will that actually happen no idea but at least I, I can plan for it <laughs> So you got a goal to work towards. I have a goal. I have a nonsensical goal that's practical at the same time. So, so Matt, what have you been up to? I've just been listening to a lot of music while I am still figuring out ocean audio and whether or not that is going to be my editing program or not. Just a lot of music. And I figured out that this is probably going to be, I think it's 3,800 songs I download every time I get a new device. Wow. And it is a lot of music. And it is, well, here's the kicker. It's all free. I can legally download it all free, listen to it how I want. I can even use it in videos or podcasts, et cetera, as long as they get attribution. And it's all video game remix music. Oh, my daughter would love that. I think that's her running playlist on Spotify is mostly video game music. Well, here's the thing. This runs across the gamut for genres. They'll take like the Sephiroth theme from like Final Fantasy 7 and make it like this 8-bit orchestral metal mix. It's really weird. You listen to it and you're like, that is awesome. What I do is, and what they offer, they haven't updated the torrent in a while, but they offer two different torrents. There's one for about the first 3,000 songs. I think it's one to 3,000. It's about 15 gigs. And then they offer another torrent, which is about another 800 songs, which is about five or six gigs. Between the two, you can get about 3,800 songs. The cool thing that these guys do is they release music in like albums. So like they'll have a theme. So they'll pick a video game, like a Sonic game or a Mario game or a Final Fantasy game, remix a bunch of music around that particular game. They have albums, which is it's stuff like that that's really cool about what it, and all the stuff that they do is community-based, so it plays in really nice to the Linux way of doing things because they have a panel you submit music to to get it published on the website. The judges will give the feedback, and the community has the input on what goes before the judges and that kind of stuff. So it's a really cool, like, open-sourcey kind of way of music creation and feedback and stuff. It's just really cool. Yeah, that is neat. That's super cool. And for those that are wondering, it's ocremix.org. So I just pulled it up, and I, I- typed in sonic and it's pulled up a whole bunch of mm-hmm. sonic music my daughter is going to have a blast with this <laughs> so, something else you can blame me for <laughs> absolutely 
the thing that's cool with these guys is that some of the game companies that have actually worked with these guys before, like Capcom. Oh, uh, that's nice. Um, worked with OC Remix to, hmm. I believe it was for like Super Street Fighter HD. <laughs> like, I don't remember the actual remix name for it, but it was, they remix one of the Street Fighter 2 games and they went to OC Remix to have them remix the entire album. And that was a collaboration between a company and the community. It doesn't happen very often in the gaming end of things so it's so yeah. that was really cool to see okay so for a bit of housekeeping for the show as some of you may have noticed there's been a few changes in hosts with me and wendy joining nate we're both really glad to be here as people have noticed eric has not been on the show to a lot of personal reasons but i'm gonna read him what eric had to say about it hi guys yes i have stepped back i have had some health issues recently that make it difficult to participate in podcasts and otherwise create content the new lineup is great and i'm really enjoying listening to the latest shows i'd love to get back to it and hope to do so soon thanks for checking in this episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Das Geek recently talked about the right to repair. Now, this has been a big issue within a lot of the tech field. doesn't matter really. Apple and a lot of other tech companies making it almost impossible to repair your products or the stuff you buy, they're just making it really, really hard and they fight constantly to not make it allowable for people to repair the stuff that they have bought. I mean, even companies like John Deere have gone so far to make it almost impossible to repair a tractor. Like, come on. Which is super frustrating, especially when you're looking. So farmers have extremely small margins on, on the topic of, of a tractor. And then if it's something that they can't even fix themselves, then you got to go spend so much more money to have this computer worked on because you have to have a special tool to do it. That's just as frustrating as, okay, I dropped my phone and it cracked the screen. And now instead of being able to buy an original manufacturer part and have it fixed right, do it myself, or have this locally run shop do it, Apple or whoever wants me to just buy a new phone. Well, I know that farmers also, they are very uh, stringent on their time as well. They can't yeah. have equipment like that be down. And if it's a simple fix, I, I know this, is a, this has been a big deal. And I've, I've heard a lot of farmers talk. Yeah, that's that's very frustrating and has actually made the old tractors more valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't have to deal with a lot of this computerized stuff. I know I've got older vehicles and I have not wanted to upgrade because my husband can work on the vehicles we have now. And I know I need a new vehicle, but I don't want to go to stuff that's computerized that 
we have to spend how much more money on because you've got this special computer that has to be used in order to figure out what's wrong and all of these extra sensors that go bad so fast. It just feels like throwing away money. You know, the, the solution to all that would be John Deere should just really use OpenSUSE Linux on other stuff. And that would really solve the problem. Problem solved. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> problem solved. I mean, Ryan really, really goes into some some very interesting stuff on his video. He, in that case, is really talking about one of the Mac products. It was the MacBook, I believe. Specifically, he was talking, I believe, about the MacBook Air. But yeah. in, in general, he's talking about Mac products, generally speaking. But, but that one, so much of the stuff was glued down, yeah. like really not meant to be replaced or easily repaired at all. I have seen some stuff, um, hints, especially coming from iFixit about Apple starting some different repair outreach type programs. So maybe all of our the, the community pushed back and saying, hey, we pay a heck of a lot of money for your stuff. We want to be able to fix it when it needs fixed instead of being upcharged. Maybe some of that is actually coming through from Apple. There might start be getting the hint there. Apple approved authorized repair toolkits more widely available to like authorized partners or something, something along those lines. And it's just like... So, I don't so it might be a start and it might still be crap is what you're saying. Yeah, it's <laughs> Apple until you figure it out. Because right now your, your two options basically boil down to buy another $2,000 Mac or $1,000 Mac, depending on your preference. Specifically talking Apple here, of course. Or find the nearest Apple store. For some people, that's not exactly close. Right, yeah. Right. I think our nearest one, if I was an Apple user, is two hours away. Yeah. So it's not economically feasible for some people. Yeah, because I totally want to spend my vacations frustrated standing there waiting for customer service to tell me that they can't help me. <laughs> Perfect. That sounds, that sounds like the exact thing I'd want to do as well. <laughs> it's a party. <laughs> you mentioned one day, like for me, this is why I tend to buy older machines or machines that yeah. I know I can specifically work on. And like, I don't expect to be able to replace everything. That, that's not what I'm looking right. for. Right. Like, the, yeah, okay, the logic board's fried. Well, guess what? <laughs> I can replace it, yes, but at the end of the day, what's the cost ratio here? You know, I can't do simple upgrades like RAM or you know, hard drive or NVMe or whatever. If you can't do simple stuff like that, just because your drive's bad or you have a bad RAM module or something, you're getting to a point now where it's like, now you guys just want to have this e-waste throwaway kind of mentality. right? Yeah. And, and it's really frustrating because my editing rig, I use an Elite Book A760W. That thing was like H-shaped. I can actually upgrade the GPU in it. So you can upgrade the GPUs in those if it's MXM. So I went from a GTX 480, give or take, and now I have a 770 card in it that I paid nice. $35 for. There's kind of a sweet spot. Like if, if the computer is not too old, also not that new, that a really good deal on relatively performant equipment without spending yeah. those high prices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my kitchen system, it fits right in that zone. So it's an HP 8300 Elite slim desktop. It's this little teeny thing that sits on the counter because I don't have a mounting bracket for it yet. But I mean, the nice. thing runs awesome. You can pick them up between like 100 and 150 bucks. Mine came with an i5. I had an i7 from a computer that I tore apart years ago, same generation. So it was a, 
a clean swap out. And I mean, they work perfectly. No, could I use it for photo editing? No. For show notes and video content and looking up recipes and all kinds of stuff, the kitchen computer gets so much use. It's crazy and it's nowhere near a new machine. I should be able to keep that machine going for a long time. Yeah, I, I did very similar with my my kitchen computer. I spent actually about 150 bucks. This is about a year and a half ago now. I have not upgraded the CPU yet. I should do, but I, I really haven't had the need. I'll work on show notes with it or I'll um, you know watch YouTube videos as I'm cleaning or making dinner or something like that. And I think it should be, it's just like Everybody a refrigerator or a microwave. Yes. Yeah. But it should be, a, <laughs> but it should be a Linux machine. That should be a requirement. Absolutely. But it's that being able to, to pick up stuff, older stuff and being able to fix it and maintain it. Exactly. That makes it feasible to have one there. Yeah. The, without the ability to, to take it apart. I think Dell does a good job of keeping their equipment serviceable. At least everything I've ever purchased yeah. from Dell. I'm very weary of trying somebody else. Although I will say on the right to repair, tuxedo computers, they uh, encourage you to fix it or upgrade it yourself. And I find that really quite fascinating that they're all about that. They make their machines so you can take them apart and fix them and service them, upgrade them and so forth. And, and I wish more companies would be like that. I definitely agree because let's be honest, really the only end of the spectrum for right to repair is if if you go with enterprise machines still because enterprise still requires an IT department. So therefore they require the ability to repair their stuff. Well, and that's what my kitchen system is, is it was in an enterprise environment, then they got swapped out kind of thing. So that's what makes them um, affordable mm-hmm. that way because there's a, a flood of the market as multiple companies are upgrading. But you know your your average desktop that you buy from the store will have stickers on it that tell you if you open it, it voids the warranty, which kills me because dust. I mean, holy crap! Especially where <laughs> I live in an environment that is so dusty, just taking the side panel off to clean out my machine is essential for the longevity of the parts in it. Yeah, it, it really is. Like the ability to be able to repair your stuff or even clean your thing. Maintain it, <laughs> it yeah, just maintenance. It is it, the fact that they limited it so much now or, you know, like say you take that side panel off and oh that sticker goes because it's like I've I've bought laptops like new ones that I'm usually a new can pave the OS off the thing because I don't want any yeah. of the blo- <laughs> I don't I don't want any of the bloat even you know if it's Windows Linux whatever OS so right. the problem is if you buy like a Lenovo or you buy an HP like new and you want to use Linux you're kind of stuck with Windows if you want that that service. And, Unless you yeah. go with a company like System76 or Tuxedo Computers who mm-hmm. are starting you out with not only a system that you're encouraged to upgrade and maintain, but put whatever on it that you want to have on it. That sticker that voids your warranty if you open it up, it makes me think, what if you know you buy a car and they have a sticker over the hood so you can't even pop the hood to check your oil? That's It's kind of along the same lines. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great comparison. A very basic. You need to be able to access your system in order to make sure it's running properly. I mean, that just to me seems like a no-brainer. One company that does encourage you to tinker and change and morph and use and do what you will with is Pine64 because they have a new version of the Pine phone. I heard and I saw something on front page Linux about it. That and looks, oh uh, my gosh, it looks cool. cool. So for those that don't know, it's three gigs of RAM now. 
So they've improved and changed the amount of RAM that was in there. It is now 32 gigs of storage as opposed to the 16 eMMC that was in it originally. But this is designed for convergence, ironically enough. It's the community and the hardware company working together to make this plausible. And they're launching at $199, which I think is a very compelling package. Still cheaper than most phones. Definitely. Oh, by far. And and most most $100 phones that you can go pick up at your average big box store is going to have typically a version of Android on it so old that you're in security risk space. Yeah, you might be running Android 8. Could be lucky you're running Android 9. <laughs> I highly doubt it though. <laughs> Or if you're really, really, really lucky, you might be running Android 10, depending on the company. Odds are highly doubtful. So the fact that these guys are like, hey, just do whatever you want. We don't care. Here's Postmarket OS. Here's Ubuntu Touch. Or sorry, UbiPorts. Here's here's Graphene OS. Here's take your pick. We don't care is really, right. really compelling because these guys are doing everything with the community. They encourage tinkering. They encourage everything that to do and make changes to the system and the hardware however you want it's like they're encouraging everything that apple discourages and that's why i like pine pine is doing a lot of the right moves and it is awesome that they're working with the community and the community is getting behind them to me that that is the biggest thing i'm really interested to see where they take this convergence part of it. And there's a lot of people that don't always have access to, you know, a laptop, a desktop computer. While while I say everybody needs a kitchen system, I know there's people out there that have, you know, one shared computer for the full whole family. And I'm extremely blessed to have all of the hardware that I have access to and that, you know, my kids get to use. And this to me seems like one of those situations why I'd really rather sit down to a computer that's got a lot of power. I think something like this, especially from a company like Pine, that it might help some of those people that you've got a really small budget to work with. I need a phone device and then I'd really like to be able to use a full keyboard to type out this paper or whatever that I need to do and being able to do that on the same device through convergence. It's kind of like the Samsung Dex in a way, except not Samsung. So probably quite good then. See, and I think I loved the idea of Samsung's, but for me that the Pine Foam makes it better for one because we're running Linux on it, like real Linux on it. And for two, I feel that there's more likely to be updates sticking in that security side where a lot of those older handheld devices like that, you know, they stop getting updates after a year or two. Or part of the reason why they're on the cheaper side is here you've got this lower end hardware and it's never getting a single security update. So this is a way to have both be budget conscious, have access to a keyboard, and have security patches. And it's not specialized. Nothing specialized. It's all like off-the-shelf components. Right. So, Absolutely. Yeah, use whatever you want. And I think, to me, that's huge because that means that you're not locked in to certain expensive esoteric hardware. Yeah, absolutely. And say you're running Postmarket OS on it and then that one goes away. But maybe Manjaro has got their own version of it that you can throw on there. They can be useful for a long time after maybe the, the initial thought for them has turned to dust. Well, yeah, because like for, 
if you look at the original HP touchpad, people are still building Android against that thing. Like the yeah, open source. I still have one. That, I still pe- use mine. <laughs> people legit, well, people legit will build newer versions of Android against that. Because the, the cool thing with the, like what Pine's doing is the fact that it's a baseline target that developers for specifically applications can target and build on and that the entry price isn't some exorbitant amount of a dev kit like you would get with other hardware requirements. You are potentially making a whole lot better experience by having that open approach and you can make the changes you need to in the software or the hardware or whatever so that it works better that things can grow and evolve and change as they need to and And then you can have these stuff go back upstream and help regular desktop linux linux too not only work better in itself because the the code getting updated but us being able to have what we kind of talked about before is the the ux package that's where i'm going the whole you your different devices working together so that you have this even and smooth user experience across all the devices that you're using and this is be part of that future this seems to have been a really for the most part hardware heavy show right to repair the new pine phone and we've got a little bit more hardware talk for you you'd think i was on hardware addicts again but no i had i had a great conversation with some of the people in the community as we were talking about bad products and most in particular it was graphic graphics cards and how companies kind of come back and handle it. A lot of what come up, especially was the the Asus card. So there's other people, there's people that really love Asus or hate Asus and they got a pretty bad rap with the 5,700 cards, I believe. So they had the really beefy ones and on some of them, the heat sink was a bit loose and it took a long time for that to get recognized and then the fix that they had for it wasn't really great. There are some people that said, oh, I get one bad product and that's it. I'm out. I'm never buying anything from that company. Or people that were like, my response to if I purchase from them again depends on how they handle it. Are they honest? Did they come out and say, yep, we messed up. This is how we are fixing it to keep a good relationship between us and you, the customer who we rely on to buy our stuff. So Nate, when it comes to finally getting new hardware purchased and you've got maybe a series that's a dud, not just your individual, where do you fall on kind of how that should be handled? Well, being in the product manufacturing business, in the past, every company is going to make a turd from time to time. It's just going to happen. You know, there, are, there are these schedules and timetables that, that engineers have to meet. And so they're, they're busting their butts to try and meet these, these schedules. And sometimes things just get missed. You know, sometimes the, uh, you know, like, I don't know what the heat sink, what the cause was of a loose heat sink, if it was bad adhesive or screw issue, you know, so sometimes those things get, you know, they just get missed. If your attitude was, well, I got a bad product from that company. I'm never buying from that company again. You're eventually going to run out of companies and, and you're going to have to uh, have to do some soul searching at some point in time or just stop buying things. Because I mean- Buy nothing ever again. <laughs> yeah, you can do that. I mean, that's fine, I guess. Because I mean, even like things that I that I really like, I mean, Dell's been good to me. I can't say that much bad about them, but when I have had things that were under warranty, they were always very good about it and, and they make their stuff easy to repair. So, you know, I guess if I, if I got mad at every, company that had something break. Well, I, I sh- certainly wouldn't be using any of that vintage hardware that I enjoy because that's all broken now. Right. So yeah. That's just, that's just crazy. 
to think about. But yeah, no, I think people need to kind of calm down a little bit and be have a little more grace toward companies because companies are run by people and people are naturally imperfect. Imperfect people make imperfect companies that make imperfect decisions. So I think we need to be a little bit, a little bit more kind to one another on that. It's, but it's, it's really about the attitude of the company at the same time. Yeah. So it's one thing to make, it's one thing to make a, an oops and be like, yep, I'll fix that. It's another thing to make an oops and say, nope, it's your fault. So that's, that's two different, two different attitudes. And uh, as long as the attitude is right from the company, then I think you should be able to give them, give them some leeway. Yeah, definitely. I, I think for me, it, it's all about how the the approach is. You get companies who have the superiority complex, a la, you're gripping the phone wrong, unless you determine <laughs> huh. who that is. Or, you know, the System 76s, the tuxedos where they're like, hey, we don't care. Just fix it. We'll fix it for you, whatever. It's all about how the point of contact doesn't end with just when you buy the machine. The point of contact is a year out, you know, depending on how long their warranty structure goes for, you know, a year, two years, three years. It's but, all about how those companies handle that stuff. Really, at the end of the day, if you give me good customer service and good customer support on something that I bought, I'm probably going to go back to you because mistakes happen, but you fixed it or you did your best to fix it. That means a whole lot more. We all have you know, I've had bad GPUs before. I've had uh, 88. I mean, this is going to kind of date me at this point, but you know, I had a <laughs> 8800 that I had for two months and it just went pop and just stopped oh, working. No. Yeah. You know, that was one video, you know, you're talking top of the line video card at the time. So that was $350 minimum. So people running into issues and writing off a company from one issue go through the entire experience. How did they handle it? If it was a garbage experience from top to bottom, then I can understand why people might write it off. You know, if you end up sitting on hold for three hours trying to get your GPU fixed, totally get why it's going to be like, I'm kind of not interested in this company anymore. Yeah. Right. And then, so, yeah. and then you get the runaround because that's usually what most people complain about. So for, for me, if that top to bottom experience from making the call to the return process and all that stuff is good, then I'm not going to write them off because like Nate said, eventually you're going to run out of companies. And if you're writing off GPU <laughs> companies, you only got like six. <laughs> you only got so many. So th this is something that came up in the conversation of more specifically MSI telling reviewers that they shouldn't post review or they won't get any more review units for bad reviews. Oh, okay. So I know where this... <laughs> Yeah. I know where this is coming from. For those that don't know, there was a there was some YouTube drama um, about reviewers. No post, YouTube post, drama. <laughs> no, never. That doesn't happen. <laughs> Specifically around reviews related to GPUs, and uh, there's been rumors and speculation about MSI, you know, um, ASUS, some of these companies saying. Well, if we're going to blacklist you, basically, so that means you're not going to get advanced products. You're not going to get ahead. Of everybody to be part of the marketing, more or less, because let's be honest, yeah. that's what that's what a lot of that's these, what they are. It's free advertising. It's free advertising. Um, what these guys are saying, well, like from what I'm understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Wendy, on this is that they're talking about not just a blacklisting, but also that these reviewers were basically paid for positive reviews because I believe it was Snazzy Labs and there was a few other guys that had talked about this. I think companies that do that those channels and those those people should not participate with those companies because they, those companies are looking to hide things. 
Right. And, and that seems to be more, um, more the specific issue of not necessarily how, how your inter- interaction is with customer service makes a big difference. If any of you have listened to one of the last versions of Hardware Addicts, I had one week where it was like three or four different things of mine broke and I spent almost the whole week dealing with different customer service departments. So yes, I am, I'm fully aware of how that not only has a reflect of how you continue to feel about the product, how you'll recommend the product, but you know, just your overall interaction with the company makes a big difference. But we have sometimes these, these cover-ups where it, it could be going on here with MSI when I come across, you know, these different reviews for Asus and it was, if you got a good card that didn't have this issue, then your card won great. Everything was awesome. But if it did have this screw issue, which Asus was extremely slow to recognize was an issue, there was major heat issues. It just was not cooling the way it's supposed to. So the card wasn't running properly. And I know that made me steer away this generation of Asus Asus AMD graphics card XFX. So I was looking at them and the first um, generation of their thick cards got not so great reviews. They're like, ah, you know, it's all right. But if you have the opportunity, get this instead. They took that feedback, said, yep, we see where we've messed up. We see what the problems are. And they launched the thick three version, which addressed those problems that that they were having. So that to me was like, hmm, maybe I'll go with them and this version of the card because it's not a, we never mess up. It was a, oh, yep, we see the faults in this version of it. We see how we can make it better. Let's produce a better card for you. There are companies who will do that. Um, as a perfect example, AMD. I look at their uh, AMD FX processors. You have that gradual changeover to Ryzen. Yeah. And, and now you have, we're on the fourth, uh, third gen of, uh, third or fourth, whatever. We're on the 4,000 series of Ryzen processors. They are trouncing the competition. And, and that is because they've, they took the time, they, the, the engineering, and they took all the complaints and all the other issues. Like heating isn't nearly as much of an issue of the AMD stuff as it used to be. There, there's just so many layers that have changed because they took the time to listen. Now, what their partners do with, right. that, that's on the partners more than it is like AMD as a brand. You know, they probably could have a little more quality control. Yeah, sure. But I've had bad third-party NVIDIA cards, you know, EVGA. Uh, F- but at the end of the day, I'm not going to write them off. I'm going to be more concerned about how they respond to those problems. So if they come back and things are massively improved, great. If right. things are not, then I'm still going to probably steer away from you. As an example, I have an MSI card. I have an MSI Radeon uh, Vega 64. And I have not had one problem with this GPU at all. I might look at uh, MSI again you now for the 5700 or if I decide to upgrade anytime soon based on prior experience. So sometimes it's about taking a gamble too, because you know how many, how many times have we looked on a Amazon review or X, Y, or Z review and been like, oh, well, this has got like a 54% when it's five stars and the, there's a couple of ones and then there's a couple of threes and fours. So you're like, oh, threes and fours aren't terrible. That's the middling experience. That's what a lot of, like a lot of your purchases are, you can only be as informed as you want to be. And sometimes believing the 
it's a conspiracy that all these guys are involved, et cetera, doesn't help your research because then your your lens for your research is every one of these guys is bought. Yeah. And going through life without nuance and understanding that companies change, things change, that is not going to help you make your decisions. It's kind of going to get you what you're looking for. I don't want to say it's narrow-minded, but I, I think it's short-sighted to have a one-and-done approach when it comes to especially G- like GPUs. There are so many other things to have that mentality with, like why a GPU company? Well, and I think for some people, it's because it's one of those um, really expensive parts that's a big deal when they get to upgrade. So when it doesn't work, it's kind of more of a hurt feeling. Like I can get that, but if my Samsung refrigerator decides to boot the bed, as it were, that sucks. Not gonna buy a Samsung refrigerator on this round. You, you, there are just times to move on, like you know, especially yeah. especially depending on that company response to something like that. Now, if MSI's response for this particular case was slow, or they were legit talking about blacklisting people, then yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not gonna say I wouldn't buy MSI, but I would be wary of MSI. Wary, just, yeah. To, to, just like, my approach to that would be like be cautious. Just like, you know, a lot of the Linux community wants to be cautious with like, as with Microsoft products, as an example, be cautious, you know, give, give them kind of the, the stink eye, evil eye look and like, <laughs> begrudgingly like, okay, but I'm watching you look. Well, I think positive constructive criticism, not to, not right. to back on a previous discussion, but you tell MSI not, hey, your, your products are garbage, but you say, hey, this went wrong. Mm-hmm. and specifically called out without being insulting. And I think you yeah. get a better response on the company too. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, like we discussed, I think if you take the criticism and make it as constructive as possible and like, bam, 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 here's why this doesn't work. This is why this is bad. It helps out tremendously to track down issues. Could be a manufacturing issue. Could be a glue issue. It could be you know, whatever. Take I'm just using the graphics card as an example. To me, it depends on what the company's reaction is. If they say, oh, yep, we messed up and here's how we're fixing it this way, then I'm I'm totally cool because I make mistakes all the time, like all the time. So I expect that, you know, companies are going to make mistakes. You have a ton of people in the lineup creating this one product that's going out and it could be, you know, an issue in, in one department that, you know, gets away. So I know that issues are going to happen that they will, it's not only just a bad product, but, you know, you end up with a bad line and just being honest about it. That's all I want. That's all I want from companies is I know you're human. I know it's run by humans and stuff happens. Just be upfront with me and tell me what you're going to do different. And I am more willing to give you my trust for that next time. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords. Not only does it have great features, Bitwarden is open source, has had third-party security auditing. Get started for free by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. I've been using Bitwarden for a while now and love it. Not only does it help me keep track of my hundreds of passwords, yes, there's hundreds because you should have a unique password for every website you go to, It also includes a random password generator. That way you can have a randomly generated password for each and every website that you use. 
Not only does it have great features, Bitwarden is open source, has had third-party security auditing, and you can get started for free by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Want some of their premium features, like one gigabyte of file storage or vault health reports? Maybe you just want to support the project. That starts at only $10 a year, not $10 a month, not $10 a week, $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account right now. Because I know you usually have, have something all kinds of strange for us, Matt. What do you got? As far as weird, strange things, distro-wise, I don't have one this week. <gasps> That's amazing. But I am going to plug a-, a project, and this one is called Chaos, or K-A-O-S, however they want to be announced, pronounced, whatever. This is a 64-bit QT only. Uses Pac-Man, but it's its own thing. Specifically solely focused on QT apps and like one library. So it's very, think Fedora, the way Fedora approaches GNOME and VTK. So the default experience is going to be a lot of QT. QT. They have user, like a user repository that has some GTK stuff, but their official repositories it's 64-bit only, QT only, everything. So if you are mm-hmm. looking for Steam or 32-bit, wrong, out, wrong you're distro, out of luck, huh? Wrong, wrong distro. <laughs> you don't see many distros with that kind of laser focus on something. Because usually, let's be honest, most distros try to be the, the general end-user distro. So especially when it's QT focused, and like that is where they want to go. I, don't know, I like elementary OS for its focus. Yeah. So I can appreciate what these guys do. The other weird oddball thing is a video game. Shock, surprise. Never. Another one, another one you'll have to No buy. fooling. Another, another one. <laughs> this one is called Project RIP. The best way to describe this game is Doom 2016 meets a horde mode for a game. So it's just waves of waves of enemies and how long you can last. But it's uh, I can already tell you now I won't. It's $13. <laughs> so I'm, I'm watching the gameplay on Steam right now. And yeah, I guarantee I can't make it through the first big horde in Doom 2016 now. There is no way I'm even going to attempt this. Well, maybe something for your husband. Yeah, he, he could probably survive for a while. And this is a Linux native game. So if anybody's looking for that Linux native, you know, Doom game that doesn't require Proton, well, here you go. And it's $13.99, I believe, right now, or $12.99 on Steam. Nice graphics, looks good, plays good, solid. I got no complaints on it. I will state that this is a mature rated game. Don't get that twisted. Definitely. <laughs> expect all the bad things with a M rated game. Like Doom. I would expect most people to realize that because Doom is very much not a kid's game either. I wouldn't sit my five-year-old down to, you to that one, and you definitely wouldn't want to do that with this I one. I just want to make the caveat nonetheless. So, Wendy, what have you been working on, though? I've actually been playing with raw therapy a lot more this last week, and I'm figuring there's more stuff that I really like about it. So if you have been... Starting to follow me on Instagram, I have shared some different screenshots throughout the week as I'm working on stuff and things that I've found that I've liked or things that I've at least found that are different. And 
Here's one thing that absolutely drove me nuts. So my husband does the metal art. And of course, when you are married to a product photographer, the natural thing is for your wife to take pictures of your your artwork. So I had some set up, had everything, I'd taken the picture, I'd loaded up on the computer, had it in raw therapy, and it was sideways. And I, for the life of me, could not find the gosh dang button to wrote it to rotate it so it would be vertical. Because I'm used in dark table that there's That's a module funny. and you rotate it. And I mean, I sat there forever and couldn't just, was so frustrated jumping back and forth between tabs. And they have a crop tab and I figure it has to be in there. So I kept going back there and I couldn't find the stupid rotate button. Yeah, it's just above the picture in the bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's they make funny. it really simple and easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's just the joys of trying to learn a new program. But I have to say that the color handling that raw therapy has right out of the gate, I have come to love. I love to take pictures of food too. I take some pictures of some steaks that I'd salted because they were going to sit for the rest of the day so the salt could um, dissolve and, and melt into the steaks. And I pulled those up both into raw therapy and dark table. And in dark table, they just, they didn't have that bright, bright red, vibrant color that they were supposed to have. And the color accuracy directly out of raw therapy has me really leaning towards a major workflow change. And I've, like I said, I've shared a picture of that on my Instagram, Lifts and Linux. So if you want to follow me in some of this, because I'm, I'm not done. I'm not done learning about raw therapy. There's still a million things I need to figure out how to do and get a workflow down and, and figure out all that it can do now that I know how to rotate a picture. So Nate, now that you've been uh, you're working on getting your garage updated, what else do you got going on? Uh, after the uh, the garage CAD work is done, I'm away from home for right now. I'm going to be working on learning packaging with the intent of doing a bit more with the OpenSUSE project. Awesome. Now, I've said this before, and I have gotten some places before, but then I, I get sidetracked. I work on something else, and I totally forget what I've learned. So I still have my notes, and I still have like my, my resources and whatnot, but there's some... There's just some applications I want to want to work on packaging and seeing if I can get more involved in that side of, of the OpenSUSE world. So that's what I'll be working on uh, as time per- permits from uh, for the next few weeks. So, so um, are these packages that aren't already included or some of them? Yeah, some of them are available in Snaps. Maybe here's the intent. I I want to be able to cheat instead of running like a, a list of all the things that I want to install. I just want to create like a cubicle date meta package that just installs everything I need and then I can just store it on the OpenSUSE OBS so that it'll just pull all the latest packages. So just kind of uh, work really hard to be really lazy, if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, that sounds good to me. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's, that's the plan there. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for more information on how to connect to the social channels and also on shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. You can find more information about me at cubiclelinux.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, podcasts, and YouTube channel nonsense can all be found there. You can follow my ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. And you can now find me on Instagram at Linux and Lifts. You can find that link in the show description there. 
You can see what I'm doing currently on Linux, different shows that I'm involved in, and of course, the change or figuring out of raw therapy, plus what I'm up to in fitness that week. That's why it's called Linux and Lifts because we're fit geeks too. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone.